Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Enrollment for the Entree Architect Academy Small Group Mastermind is now open. This is the most powerful membership program we offer, sharing knowledge, setting goals, finding accountability for your own progress. You'll find it at Entree Architect Mastermind. To learn more, visit entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 209. Welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, or you may be in the process right now of launching a startup, is that you? Or you may be like me, an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference every day. This podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Whether you are proposing a project to a new client or presenting to a powerful decision-making authority or spreading a message to the world one stage at a time, your voice and how you use it will be the difference between falling flat and persuading your audience to see it your way. You want to make a difference? Use your voice to change the world around you. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, how to become an influential speaker with Dr. Michelle Mazur of Communication Rebel. 
This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, Gusto, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. And I'm going to share a little bit more about these great companies later in the show. But as we get started here, take a quick note to schedule some time this week to go visit each one of them. RCAT, Gusto, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE. And let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us because when they support us, they're supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Dr. Michelle Mazur, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. It is so good to be here. Yeah, I know this is going to be a good one because you and I started <laughs> talking a little bit before we hit the record button and we are clicking really well. But before we get into a conversation, uh, I want to introduce you a little bit. Dr. Michelle Mazur, a PhD, founded Communication Rebel on the belief that communication changes the world. So that's what she did. That's what, what she helps speakers do, rebel against the status quo and make a difference. She does that by helping them craft their message, the speech, and creating their positioning and, and pricing because you can't change the world if you're not getting paid, right? Um, the, the speakers that Michelle uh, has, they've worked, that she's worked with, has gone on to book $10,000 speaking gigs, become international speakers, raise three times the amount of money they expected uh, during a launch of a charity, and have spoken in front of world leaders, even first ladies. So this is, this is the real deal here. This is, we're talking, t we're talking, talking today, talking, speaking. That's where we're, we're going here today. Um, <laughs> Michelle, before we get into that, our, our topic is going to be speaking. Obviously, that's what you do. That's your world is, is speaking. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to, to uh, have you tell us a little bit about you, share your origin story, go back to where you sort of uh, found your purpose and your passion for this, this thing that you're doing, uh, and then tell us the story from, from that point to where you are today. Yeah, so I'm one of the lucky ones because I figured out what I was passionate about at a really young age. So I was in about 10th grade and I was taking the required public speaking course and I was super awkward and shy at this point. Like I was the, one of my teachers actually described me as the girl who sits in the back row and knows all the answers, but never speaks. <laughs> so. And that, and that right there, Michelle, is why we're connecting. <laughs> because that was me too. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to take this public speaking course and the boy I liked was in the class. And I, all I remember about the first speech was like, I was white knuckling it. I'm pretty sure I spit on the boy I liked because he was sitting right in front of me and it was terrifying and awful. And I was awful. <laughs> I think I got like the gentleman C on that speech. And Yet there was this voice in my head that says, this is really important. You need to master it. And that led me to take more speaking classes, much to my parents' chagrin. They were like, you suck at this. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up joining the speech and debate team where when I first started, I got my butt kicked every single Saturday. I got up at 6 a.m., went to a tournament and lost every single Saturday. But that was 
the time when I really got to cut my teeth, get lots of feedback, try and experiment. It's kind of like your, you know, your time in the woodshed, just doing the work. And eventually things started to click for me. And I just fell in love with speaking because I knew that it could change the world. So that led me to get a PhD in communication. And I was a professor for about five years, which is a whole other story, but I didn't really like being a professor. <laughs> I love the students. I love the research, the politics I'm not so good with. <laughs> and probably people listening to the show who've tried to be like in big corporations feel the same way. So instead of starting my business after I left academia, I went to corporate. Same story. I did market research because I'm a good researcher. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually a friend of mine took me aside and was just like, Michelle, you have such a depth of knowledge about communication. You're so gifted at speaking and you're not sharing it. He's like, you have to start sharing it. He's like, start a blog, start something. And I was like, okay. And I ended up starting my blog, which was relationally speaking at the time and then has since morphed in communication rebel. But that blog actually led me to my first client and made me realize like, oh my gosh, I can actually do this and get paid. Wow. That's amazing. And now it has been, I've been full time in the business for three and a half years, which is amazing and great and challenging and all of it. And I get to work with amazing people who have really big ideas and who want to like change the world or change their industry for the better. So that's kind of it, Ooh, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better than that, right? You're doing something you love to do. You're passionate about it. You've, you've clearly found your purpose. And you're making the world a better place through other people. You're sort of helping people find their purpose and their passion and giving them the tools to, to be able to express that to the rest of the world. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I feel like my job is to empower other people to find the right words or help them find the right words so that their message spreads and gets traction and really impacts the people that it was meant for. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you said before that, that when you first started, you started in 10th grade, but you, when you joined that debate team, you were terrible, right? And said, and you failed every Saturday. Was there a point at that point that you just were like, maybe this is not my, my purpose. Why am I doing this? If, if every week I go here and I get crushed, why am I doing this? Was there any point in that time where, where you thought maybe mm -hmm. this wasn't right? Or you were just, you just knew and you just kept pushing through it until you, you got better at it. I'm sh there were points where I was I was definitely frustrated, but I don't think I ever wanted to give up. And I think part of that was how our coach actually set up our speech and debate team where we would give our peers feedback. So there was a lot of peer to peer coaching. So even though I sucked, I was also coaching, you know, the person who was going out and winning every tournament. And that was a great learning process as well, like seeing what worked for that person. And so I think the social aspect of being on the speech and debate team kept me going and working at it because I loved being around those people and hearing them speak. And I think that really drove me towards wanting to master it. Yeah, I, I think so much of success has to do with persistence. That, mm -hmm. if you, that if you just know this is the right thing for you, 
and that you know that this is your purpose, even if you're not good at it, even if it gets frustrating, even if you, other people tell you that you're not good at it and that you should quit. The, I, you know, I listened to, I, um, there's an, a podcast called How I Built This. Oh, uh, yeah. It's an NPR podcast. And, and it's all about entrepreneurs and how their stories, their origin stories and their, their stories to success. And every single one of them talks about the persistence of not quitting, that they just never quit. Even when people told them they should quit, they didn't quit. Even when they were failing and they were struggling, they didn't quit. And they just kept going and going and going and going until they found success. Almost every single one of them tells that same story. And that's the same thing that you're saying. Yeah, there's a certain resiliency. Like when you found something that you really love, it's not necessarily going to be an easy path to get where you want to go. There's going, I mean, I think we should expect struggle. And, I, you know, it. it's kind of like we live in this world where we see like people like rise up overnight and they're like overnight sensations. And we don't get to see the other 90% where they spent the years in struggle. And so we think, oh, well, if it's not easy, it's not meant to be. But like, any skill you want to learn, I mean, even with architects, it's a skill. There was probably frustration as you were coming up and getting your education. You, If you really love it and are passionate about it, you persevere. And I yeah. think that is the key. And, so, you know, like, and I was young at the time, so I was just like gung-ho and not really thinking about it. But I always come back to that part of my story, especially in business, once things start getting tough that, okay, no, this is what I'm meant to do. I yeah. believe that communication changes the world. And that's the message I want to get out through my work. So you, I, I gave an intro of the type of people that you're working with. What are, um, how do people find you? I mean, and are they, are they somebody who hasn't yet spoken, but wants to get that message out? Or are they people that that sort of have already started speaking and they're not very good at it and they need need some tune-ups? Or is it sort of a whole bunch of different types of people? I get people who have dabbled in speaking and generally my people aren't afraid of getting up on stage. Like that is not their issue. Um, but what they're finding is that they don't they know they have something important to say, like they have a really important message to share and they know that it's valuable, but it's not coming across. There's something that is missing and they're ready to, you know, really up level what they're doing. So yeah, most of the people I work with are actually really good on stage. They've been speaking or dabbling in it. And some of my, some of my clients are actually very established speakers who are like, if I want to charge more, this speech that I'm giving has to be so much more impactful than it currently is. So those are the types of people. So they're slightly more advanced who end up coming. And honestly, like one of the ways people find me all the time is my podcast, The Rebel Speaker, because I do these like solo shows and some interview shows where I'm just kind of giving, well, usually it's my rants and my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> on speaking, but they're very bite-sized and people listen to it and they're like, oh yeah, this, this woman gets me. Yeah. And that's how people find me. And, and you had mentioned, so I'm, I'm assuming you didn't use the word introvert. I'm assuming you were an introvert before you started all this. Is that true? Um, I'm an ambivert. So I straddle the line between introversion and extroversion. What so, does that mean? Just talk, explain that. 
Yeah, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds in some ways. So I can be very gregarious, very outgoing, and I also need a lot of time to recharge. So I think about speaking. So anytime I'm out there and I'm going to give a big speech, I have to actually plan time afterwards to recharge myself because I just get so drained from all of that energy. So it's it's interesting. So technically on Myers-Briggs, when I was taken through that exam, I am an ENTJ, so I'm extroverted, but I'm so close to the introvert line yep. that they call us ambiverts. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing because- some days I'm super extroverted and some days I'm introverted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reason I ask is because a lot of my listeners are introverts. Architects, a lot of architects are introverts. Mm -hmm. Not all of us, but but I would say the majority of us are. Um, I am. I've worked very hard at, at overcoming the, the weaknesses of introversion. Um, obviously, there's lots of benefits to being an introvert as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. I wouldn't be able to get on a stage. I wouldn't be able to change the world that I'm trying to do through Entree Architect unless I focused on overcoming some of those, those hurdles that I have before me. What are some of the things that you would recommend to someone who is introverted but wants to get out there and be able to, to share their message? Yeah. So a few years ago, I wrote an, a blog post called Introverts Make the Best Speakers. Um, and I think one of the big strengths that introverts can focus on when you're a speaker, you get to control the conversation. Because I know that's the hard part for introverts is like when you, you know, the small talk, you don't get to go deep because that is not the way introverts connect. They don't like the small talk. When you're on stage, you control the conversation and where you want it to go. So a lot, of, there are a lot of speakers who are actually introverts and love being on the stage because in some ways, especially when you have a whole, crowd of people out there. It's, it's like you're having a conversation, an in-depth conversation with one person. So I think that's one area. The other real big strength that I think introverts can capitalize on is that you think so deeply about the audience. Like, cause I mean, introverts are thinkers. And so you're thinking about what they need, how they're going to react. You know, are they going to take action on this message? Whereas extroverts are like, woo, let me tell you what I want to tell you. And like, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's just this more thoughtful approach when I work with introverts that they are very concerned about, how, what the audience is thinking, how they're processing that message. So when you know those two things together, like how deeply you think about the audience and how you get to control the conversation, you can actually use those as your fuel to want to get out on stage. And that is where the power lies, is really playing to your strengths. And after a while, you'll find out that you probably really like it. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. you get to control the conversation. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened with me. I, I've, I've found that I love to speak, um, but I've, it takes a lot of energy. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of, of focus. It takes a lot of time. Um, and so I've sort of limited how much I speak. Um, but, but I find that it takes a tremendous amount of preparation to make sure that you know exactly what you're going to say. And I'm not saying, you know, memorize a speech and say the speech you know, verbatim, but 
you need to be very prepared on what you're going to say and what your message is. And that's exactly what you do is to help people craft that message uh, mm -hmm. and be able to express that. And I think that that introverts, if you are very well prepared and you are passionate about what you're going to say, that's going to be a much more successful experience than trying to stand up there and wing it. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. extroverts can do that. They can stand up there and just get a subject and just go to town and start talking about it and be interesting and not not be concerned about it. But I've tried it both ways. And and when you're not very well prepared on the message and the and the and uh, the process that you're going through, the story that you're going to tell, it's it becomes a disaster. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. We could not do this without them, so please support them. RCAT, Gusto, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. The time has come for your firm to begin gathering product and material information for its next project. You've been there, I've been there, we've all been there. Let's say that you're tasked with finding the top gas fireplace manufacturers, and you need CAD, BIM, and specifications. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a search engine that showed you who has the data you need so you don't have to go all through Google and find a piece here and a piece there and spend the entire day finding this? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a search engine, one search engine that did all of that? There is. It's called rcat.com. Search for a product or even a CSI section and get a list of North American manufacturers and the data they offer. And even better, you can download all that technical data for free. You don't even have to register to use RCAT. You don't even have to give them your email address. It's free. Save your time, your money, and your frustration and just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Payroll and benefits. You love them? No, they're hard, especially when you're a small business. You don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, right? We're all in that mode right now with taxes and regulations. The old school payroll providers that some of us are using, they just, they're not built for the way that we work today. Gusto, our friends at Gusto, they're making payroll and benefits and, and human resources easy for us small businesses. Modern technologies, they do all the heavy lifting, so it's easy for us to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners here at Entree Architect Podcast exclusive limited time deal, right? Sign up today and you'll get three months free, three months. That's long enough to figure this thing out, right? Three months free once you run just one payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto, G-U-S-T-O, and claim your free three months of payroll processing right now. entrearchitect.com slash gusto. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. They do everything. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I love this. 
I think that sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as an entrepreneur architect. If we're not sending invoices, we're not getting paid. FreshBooks makes it easy to send out invoices and get paid online with the click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you have full control of. I love this. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get paid faster. Get the simplest way to be more productive, to get organized, and most importantly, like I said, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free for 30 days and be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at the Entree Architect community is project management software. The whole, how do we manage our projects? How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? Today's podcast is sponsored by BQE Software, the makers of the award-winning BQE Core. It's their new product. Core puts project management, business intelligence, billing, time and expense tracking, and accounting together in one intuitive, powerful platform. It's a beautiful system. I've seen it work. There's a demonstration uh, on on our website. You should go check it out with its cloud platform and their mobile app, Core lets you manage people, projects, and profits from anywhere in the world. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of Core by going to entrearchitect.com slash BQE. That's entrearchitect.com slash BQE. Go check it out right now. RCAT, Gusto, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. Go visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. What are some of the things that that someone who wants to to um, speak some of those uh, uh, ways of preparing? What are some ways to prepare as you're putting this this speech together? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing is step away from PowerPoint or keynote. <laughs> like if your first in- instinct when you're preparing a speech is to immediately go to PowerPoint, no, 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 no. You do not want to start there. Um, and when I think I that's with- where most of us do start, right? Because yes, we're, especially 100%. as designers, we will design the slides, right? And then we'll just speak to the slides. We'll read the words that are on the slides, mm-hmm. right? Terrible yes. idea. Yes. And I, you know, like when I work with clients, sometimes my clients get a little frustrated because I, we do a lot of pre-work where we do an audience deep dive to figure out like, why are they coming to this presentation? What is their challenge? What is their problem? What do they believe about your message that might cause resistance? And then I take them through a process that I call the three word rebellion, which really gets them to like the core message of their speech and how they want the audience to change. And that core message, that three word rebellion is really the end point where you get people to take action and to like, enroll in what you're doing and what you represent. And the challenge that they're facing is the beginning point. So now you have to bridge the gap. So I do like an audience journey exercise where, you know, just dump all of your ideas out onto paper. Because if you're an introvert and you are a thinker, you have tons of ideas that you would love to tell the audience, but they might not necessarily need to know. (laughs) 
(laughs) So, you know, I'm always thinking about what conversations do you need to have in order to move your audience from that challenge, that stuckness, that resistance that they have to the rebellion that you are wanting to create, that movement you're wanting to create. And then once you have that, you can actually start writing the speech. And so, and then it's just a process of getting a good structure down and kind of just doing the work. And at that point, you can actually go to PowerPoint and start scripting it out or, you know, designing your slides because for visual people, they, it's, it's easier to create speeches within like PowerPoint or keynote or something. Yeah. What are your thoughts on words on slides and especially bullet points where you're actually sort of (laughs) writing your speech on the slides and you're just sort of, even if you present it really well, you're basically presenting the words that they're reading. Yes. So I feel if you are reading your slides, um, the slides are then replacing you as a speaker. And actually, you're kind of hiding out. That's what's really going on is you're saying, look at these slides, and I'm secondary to them. When really slides are the most impactful and effective when they support and reinforce your message. So for me, it's like minimal text on slides, lots of pictures to reinforce the message that you're giving. Otherwise, if if anyone can read your slides and not have to listen to your speech, you've just replaced yourself as a speaker. <laughs> There's no need for you. Yeah, to speak. They're not even listening to you anymore. They're they're reading no. while you're speaking. Yes, yes. And so you aren't you're you're And they're going to miss a lot more because they're thinking about what they're reading and not what you're saying. And yeah, it's bad for memory too. Whereas if you have visuals, visuals can actually anchor your message and have, and people will remember it more because of that visual that you use. So limit your bullet points, limit your number of words on a slide, use lots of pictures. (laughs) Do you have any tips on on cues? So if you're sort of telling your story and there's different parts of your story and and there are things you want to say, what's the best way to sort of structure, not only structure the message, but structure the presentation so you remember what to say when you're supposed to say it? Do you do that visually or do you do that with cards or how are you doing that? I always think about presentations as having like information buckets, basically. So when I work with a client, I use a really simple structure and it's like a three part structure for each of their points. And it's like you make a point and then you support that point with a story or statistics, research, case studies, whatever. And then you have like an action step or a takeaway from that point. And then you just replicate that structure. And what is awesome about that is that you always know what's coming next because you're like, okay, this is the point I'm going to make. And then there's this story that comes in that I'm going to tell. And then there's this action step and you can actually reduce your speech into one sheet. (laughs) And so for me and for some of my clients that works exceptionally well. Also like slides can serve as visual cues as well. Like not put your whole speech on the slide, but when you see a pitcher of milk, you think of like, Oh, it's time for me to tell this story. The milk story is it's time yeah, for the, the milk, milk story. story. Yeah. I have to tell the milk story. <laughs> I right love now. that milk story. That, that's my favorite. It's the milk <laughs> story. 
Have you, have you, and so you've, you've been doing this for three years. You've, you've uh, taught many, many people. Have you ever uh, brought somebody on, started coaching them and realized that this is just somebody who should not be speaking? Have you ever had to deal with that? I have not, but I've had them realize that they don't want to be speaking. And what so happens? <laughs> why, why do they realize that? What happens? Um, I think part of it is it's just this like, oh, okay, I should be speaking. Like I have something important to say and I should be getting it out there. And then they start going through the process and they start thinking about like, oh, I've got to get myself out there and pitch for gigs and do all of this and do all of that. And they're like, is this what I really, really want? Yeah. And if you don't want it, like before we start recording, we we're talking about it has to be the right time. Yeah. And so if you get through, you know, if you're going through the process and you're like, oh crap, this is not, this is not what I want, then that's a great thing to learn and to know. And then I end up working with them and like, well, you have this great message. How can you actually be using it in your business? So like I had one client who decided I don't want to be a speaker, but she used her, her speech as like, videos for a launch she was doing. So, so it's great that I can help them repurpose it, but I think that's a good aha to have that they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that happened to me. I, when I first launched Entree Architect, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do the website and I'm going to do the podcast and I'm going to do the blog and I'm going to do a newsletter and I'm going to do this speaking and I'm going to travel all over the country. I'm going to do speaking. And I tried that and I did a bunch of speaking and I, and I, and I really liked it. But it's such a time commitment and it's and it's you have to prepare or else it's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, you're pulling time away from other things. And so none of it is as good as you want it to be. And so there was a certain point where I said, OK, I love to speak. I want to get that message out. Someday I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull back on speaking and I'm going to focus on the website and the membership and make that the best thing it can be. Build a team around that and then with the right timing, go back and be able to focus all of my attention on becoming a really, you know, a special class one uh, top speaker uh, on, on presenting what I want to, you know, uh, share my message with. Yeah, because I feel like speaking is one of those things that should be a later business initiative. So like when you're just like getting everything together, the website, the membership, the newsletter, the podcast, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to add speaking to the mix. It's actually much better to nail a how you're making money outside of speaking first. So that is super solid and you know, it's running well and getting some of those business foundations in place and getting the team built. So you can be at a point to be like, okay, I'm going to step to, I have this running, it's running like a champ. And now it's my time to be the face of my business, to be that thought leader and to be more visible and speaking is the way I want to do that. And I am going to focus on it because if you like speaking is an art and a bit of a science as well. And so it does take a lot of preparation and focus. And I think there's a misconception, this is going to sound horrible, that if I can open my mouth and talk, I'm an awesome speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, if, or you know, I've spoke a few times and my audience says, oh my gosh, I love this. And they think that that's good enough to have them go pro and have them get paid. And it's like, 
ooh, no, no, you've got to get that artistry and that science down along with doing all the marketing and pitching that you need to land the speaking gigs. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. The, the, there, are, there are several people listening to this that, that are already speaking. They're doing it. They want to take it to the next level. They want to, to maybe they're not getting paid. You know, maybe they're speaking at AIA events or other events mm -hmm. and they're doing it, but they want to do it. They want to go to the next level. They want to get paid. What is your uh, recommendation and how do you make that step? How do you make that transition from somebody who's doing it for free to somebody who's, who's getting paid? Yeah, I think the first thing I tell people is even if you're not getting paid yet, make sure you have your pricing structure in place. So you should know how much you want to charge for your speech. You should have a range, a speaking fee range. You should know your walk away price, even if you're just starting out. Because if you don't set the intention and the structure behind getting paid, you are just going to be caught in that cycle of free speaking forever because you don't have structures to actually support you getting out of it. So that's the first thing. And then the second is to start deciding that yeah. you are going, you're going to say no to free speaking and you're going to get paid. And, and that's kind of hard because it's like, Oh, I want to speak and I want to get my message out there. But if you, if you have a great message, I always view a speech, this is so non-rebelish, but a speech is essentially a product you're selling, right? So if you have a great product and people love it and they're getting transformation, they're getting change, your industry is buzzing about it, there comes a time where you say, yeah, that's, that is worth money. Yeah. And I should be compensated for that. So that means you're probably going to have to turn down some speaking opportunities and get very clear. It was funny. I was talking, I was doing a podcast interview for my show the other day, and she was saying that she was asked to speak for free runs and she does a lot of like video marketing. And she said, I had 250,000 people watch me last month on Periscope. Um, I don't need to come to your event speak for free in front of 50 people. I don't need that exposure. I can go live and get it anytime. And so I think there's a point where it's like you have a big enough following to that people are going to have to pay you because you're not going to do it for the exposure. Yeah. And, and you bring value to that event. When you're mm -hmm. if you have a good message and they're inviting you to come speak to their event or you're pitching them to, to speak at their event, you should have a value. If you don't have value, you should, should work more on your speech. But mm -hmm. you're bringing value to that event. And so that event is making money. I'm sure their tickets are not for free. They're selling their tickets. You're going to bring more value to their event. They're going to bring more people to that event. You should definitely get paid for that. Um, and, and how do you... So when you do start paying, you do start getting paid... Is it, are you, and I'm not going to ask you how much should I charge because that's a gigantic conversation <laughs> and that's impossible to answer. Um, but it's like asking us how much a house costs. <laughs> um, Depends on the house. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but um, when you first start charging, do you recommend mm -hmm. that you sort of just throw out a little number or do you sort of say, okay, how do you value what you do? How do you value uh, a speech? Yeah, so this is the art of negotiation. So, and also like a little bit of pricing strategy. So one of the things 
like I do with my clients is I take them through a process to understand all of the education, all of the experience, um, you know, all of their accomplishments to bring them to this point where they are an expert on the stage because all of that has value, right? All of that expertise, that education has value. And so seeing that first, then you're like, okay, I know that I'm an expert, I'm bringing value. And then you have to think about why does the audience want your speech or why, well, the first and foremost is why does an organization want your speech? What problem, what value are you adding? What results can you get them? And so then you can start playing with the pricing strategy. And I say in when you're negotiating, when you're having that sales conversation, you really want to do the deep dive into the organization, get your questions answered about why they're interested in you, what they think that you can bring to the audience, find out what their challenges are of the industry. And then I say, you always throw out your top number. <laughs> so if it's yep. $10,000, you start with $10,000 and then the conversation starts from there. Because if you're, because I've had clients who've done this where <laughs> they've like, they're like wanting to get paid to speak. So they're like a thousand bucks. And then they find out, um, this is terrible. They, they did some research and later found that the person they paid the previous year got $7,500. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and it was like, they were kicking themselves because they lowballed them. Cause they're like, Oh, I don't know what their budget is. And nah, nah, nah. so I always say, just, just be bold and start with the big number. And then you can negotiate down from there. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't hear dial tone, you're still in the, in the game. It's the, the, um, uh, it, it's a marketing game, right? It's a marketing Mm -hmm. and sale. It's just like selling our architecture. You know, you have to have a marketing strategy and you need a sales process. And Mm -hmm. so if you're going to speak, you need a marketing strategy and you need a sales process. And so you should have a website and you should have some examples of you speaking and, and some testimonials and all the things that we need on our architecture websites. You need a website or a section of your website that's all about speaking, about how you do it, an example of the work that you do. Show the value that you bring to a potential client, and then it's a sales process. They contact you, and you go through your sales process. And and I love the idea of throwing out the big number and Mm -hmm. seeing if, if they bite, and if they don't bite, then you work your way backwards. Yeah, yeah, and you negotiate like that. I think that is the key. And I think you hit on something that's really interesting that I don't think speakers think enough about is that it's a business at the end of the day. Yes, we have, you know, we want to change our industry and change our audience, but if we're also hoping it's going to feed, clothe, house us, or make up some type of revenue for our business, then we have to treat it like a business and not just like this side, weird side project, (laughs) but having those business structures in place is key to actually making this work. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about how much time it takes. It takes a tremendous amount of time to be successful and a professional. So if you're not getting paid, where are you making the money? You know, my listeners have heard me say many, many times, profit, then art. You got to focus on the business, build a strong, thriving business, make it profitable, make it successful, and then you can focus all of your time on building some amazing art, changing the world, because you'll have the time and the resources and the money to do that. And so you got to focus on building a business first, 
and then you can go change the world. Yeah, yeah. And I talk a lot, especially with speakers, about profit through impact. It's like, for me, it's like, yes, you want to create great art or yes, you want to have a large impact and that's the focus, but, and it needs to be the focus and you will find that the money comes, but you have to have the structures in place to receive that money. Cause if you don't have those structures in place, then you're going to find yourself speaking for free or working on spec or yeah. whatever else. And you're going to have a much bigger impact when you're working with people because you you're you're going to have more credibility if you're if you're speaking for free or you're speaking for $5000 who has more credibility the person who's speaking for $5000 that that's valuing what they're speaking about um, typically and not in all mm -hmm. cases you know if if president clinton was speaking for free somewhere <laughs> you know he's got his he's got his <laughs> his credentials in place and so you know it it but the business matters you know, whether yeah. we're architects or we're speakers or we're speakers who are architects, um, it matters to build that business and the structure and the, and the, uh, you, you were talking before that you, you need to sort of build a, a strategy and a structure, uh, mm -hmm. about how you're going to do this. So, yeah, uh, very, very interesting. It's, it's very similar to the business of architecture that, that, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're being creative, we're communicating. Um, what actually we're going to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask one question, not my final question, but, um, a question about, um, not standing on stage as a speaker, but just communicating better, you know, that mm. if we're presenting our architecture to a, to a, to a, um, a, uh, a committee or a, even a family, what are some of the things that we can do to get better at that? You know, sort of, if, we, if we're not really good at, at that end of the business, what are some things we can do to, to get better at, at being able to speak and, and clearly present our ideas? Yeah. Well, one of the big things is getting very focused on the audience, which you can tell I am all about because what I've noticed with experts, with architects, with startups, they get very focused on the how of something when the people you're presenting to probably want the what, why, and how much is it going to cost? So understanding like what they actually need in the presentation and not getting mired down in all of the details and how you would design it and like like all the stuff that you probably get super excited yeah. about. I think that helps like being very focused on what they need to make the decision and also knowing what the next step is from that presentation beforehand. So, you know, if you're pitching, is the next step signing a contract or is it having another meeting to talk further or to refine the idea? So I think those are two things like knowing. And then it's really about honestly, practicing and yeah. getting better with how you're communicating and presenting yourself. So I tell people that if they just want to get better with their delivery skills, Toastmasters is awesome because you get to be in front of a supportive group of people who can give you feedback and they can also assume any like audience identity you want them to right. so that they can hear the presentation from that audience's point of view. And so I think that is a powerful way because the only way to get better about with speaking is actually to do it more often. So Toastmasters is great for getting up and doing it more often so you can have better communication skills. Yeah, great, great advice. Let me ask you my final question before we wrap up. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today 
to build a better business for tomorrow? Hmm. So what I would suggest, and I think this goes back to what I feel is the overarching theme is get really clear on what the people you're pitching, you're presenting to want. What do they need to hear? How can you take them on that journey from like, I'm not sure I'm going to hire you to like, oh my gosh, you have our vision nailed for what we want this space to look like. And when you're more focused on them than, you know, selling the project or talking about how it's going to get done, they're going to feel deeply seen and deeply heard and connected to you. And I think that is really a key to building trust in the relationship because hiring an architect to design your space is a big deal, especially if you're going to be living in that space afterwards or working in it every day. So I think, you know, understanding what the challenges are, what they need and communicating towards those when you're out there speaking to potential clients yeah. is the key. That's such good advice. You know, whether you're speaking to a, an audience of a thousand people or presenting an architecture project to a couple, it's mm -hmm. all about them, right? It's all yeah. about who you're talking to and what they what they want from you and understand where their emotions are, what their desires are, what their needs, what their wants are, and then you can present all of the rest of it to that. It's such good advice, such good mm -hmm. advice. So your platform is uh, the Communication Rebel. It's found mm -hmm. at uh, drmichellemazur.com. It's M-A-Z-U-R. Dr. Michelle with two L's, Mazer.com. Um, we'll have links on that on the show notes. This is episode 209. And so you can go to entrearchitect.com slash episode 209. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today, including Dr. Mazer's uh, website. Um, Michelle, thank you very much for coming and hanging out with me, talking to me. Uh, I think we've made a new friendship. I'm sure this is not <laughs> the last time that we're going to talk. And when I'm ready to speak, I'm coming to you, uh, but thank you for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. You are so welcome. This was a pleasure. I encourage you to share this episode with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 209. That is the link to share. We are growing exponentially, and it is because of you, because all I'm doing is producing and promoting and creating this content every week and you're the one that's sharing it you are one step at a time one member at a time one listener at a time entrearchitect.com slash episode 209 please take take 10 seconds take that link entrearchitect.com slash episode 209 put it in your email send it to a friend that doesn't know who we are and say hey go check this out this is something that you might be interested in entrearchitect.com slash episode 209. That's it. Go do that, please. That's the way we grow this thing. Hey, enro enrollment for the Entree Architect Academy Small Group Mastermind. It's open now. It is open. You've been waiting for it. It's, it's been a while since we've had enrollment open. So now is the time you've been waiting for it. This is the most powerful membership program we offer. Sharing knowledge, setting goals, finding accountability for your progress. You do this every week in a private, powerful session uh, with, a, with a, a small group of about 10 people in each group. This is where you can change your life. This is where you can change your firm. This is where you will make progress. I promise you, this will change your life. 
at Entree Architect Mastermind. To learn more, visit entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. Go there quickly though, because next Friday is the end. It will close again and it will be several months before it opens up. So if you wanna make a huge difference, a huge difference in the way you decide and make progress with your firm in the next three months, this is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. EntreeArchitect.com slash mastermind. Go make a difference. Go change your, your life. Go change your firm at, at EntreeArchitect.com slash mastermind to learn more. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? When you build a better business and you have a thriving, profitable firm, oh, could you imagine how fun that would be? Because then you could spend all your time designing and being an architect and doing all the things you love because you have the resources and you have the time and you have the money because your business is working properly. Go build a better business so you can be a better architect and there's no way, no better way to do that than to join our mastermind groups at entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. Go do that. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>